Hi everyone and welcome to episode four of Black Women's Hour. Um, I'm saying episode four, it might be episode 2556. I don't know, I don't know what day it is anymore. I don't know <laughs> what is going on. Um, except I would like to actually say this, closing black hairdressers and stuff, as they have done during this pandemic, is a hate crime. I said that by the end of this quarantine, right, have you ever seen those rasters that have just got one dread because it's all together? Or do you remember the guy from The Harder They Come? <laughs> I actually used to have a crush on him, but that his friend, right, who just had this just like three dreads. That's how I'm going to end up looking, I swear to God. Every week I look worse and that's just how it is. Open up black hairdressers. Stop the racism. How's everyone this week? How are you, Aisha? This is my sidekick how's it going good thanks actually on what you just said jude um tweeted something along those lines didn't she the other day about how boots is still open super drugs still open but pack is shut exactly um, like, that is anti-black racism a hundred percent just because boots might sell one piece of black hair care or mixed race hair care that is not the selection i need in my life i think that's <laughs> not enough you know, where are you going to get bundles from? Were you to want to put some, you know, extra bit of hair in? Mind you, I bought them off Amazon. Then I realised I can't even do hair. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter's got like four extensions on the back of her head. I just came up. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> and you take up on road like that? No, she's always in a silk. No, she's got hats. Thank God it's winter. <laughs> but it's like, she's everyone's like, she looks so cute in her silk bonnet. I'm like, there's a reason she doesn't take it off. <laughs> my dad cut Rohan's hair yesterday. Thank God. you, Jesus. Thank you, Dad oh. and Jesus. Oh, excellent! I haven't been able to get a hair done, and I just, I just want to shout out all black hairdressers because you really are saints. Um, we have two amazing guests this week. How are you guys doing? I see you guys are rocking the beards. Is this a oh. lockdown look? We have uh, Mark Robinson <laughs> and we have Calvin, who's known as DJ Biggie Soup. I'll call you Biggie today. Is that right? You're not even fat though. So, I'm tall. Oh, okay. Well, you, you've got Jamaican heritage, haven't you? Yeah, it's more about- They just say what they see. In Biggie. Yeah. Biggie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Caribbean people just say, it. it's like, honestly, why didn't Caribbean uh, people win catchphrase every week? <laughs> the guys just go, say what you see. Because the Caribbean person <laughs> We should have been on there storming that. Yellow man, trolley, trolley, yellow man, trolley with yellow man and trolley on the house, house, trolley. <laughs> I remember in Dominica, right? It's been a hurricane. I'm taking food parcels to this village, and there's this village called Salisbury where they're like 90% Vidal's or so. There's so many Vidal's there. And so my cousin's taking me up there, and this auntie, you know, in the Caribbean, you've just got family you just haven't met, right? And you just meet them all the time. And then he said, Oh, look, this Ava. He goes, she went, who's she? And she goes, Ava, well, she's a Vidal auntie. And the woman told her, I goes, I could tell by the long horse face she has. Oh no. Oh, wow. <laughs> puzzle. Why are you reacting with violence? Was there any need for that? Because <laughs> <laughs> she's family. West Indians though. Oh God, anyway. Her grandma, um, she used to say, always it was my back was broad. You, and then, oh. then it was, Oh, yeah, your boy, your back so broad, it broad, your shoulders, them broad. And then it was the last time she saw me when I put on some weight. She's late grandma, I should say now. And she said, your ties tick, yes, like a husband would like. A husband would like them big tick, thick thighs. I was just 
grandma. I don't know where he's supposed to go, but they do, they do tell you that. And I think she meant it with love. Well, please tell me those weren't her last words. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if they were, I think she would have been pleased with that. <laughs> Guys, is this, is this beard the look, or is this a lock? Are these lockdown beards? Are this where we're going? I've had my beard for years, but it's certainly <laughs> grown out since lockdown, and I haven't cut my hair for months. So I'm going like an afro. I mean, although I don't go out and show people though, because there's a little bit of it missing. <laughs> I need a man weave. I'm not gonna lie. Throughout, I take, a bow, take a bow, Mike. Take a bow. Take a bow. Take a bow. You see, I think rigid. But no, I mean, the thing is, right? But in all seriousness, though, right? I mean, I hadn't cut my. I'd always shaved my hair for about ten years, and when lockdown started, I just decided to not go to the barbers, you know, because you couldn't. And yeah. I spoke to my boys, and they were like, "No, just just keep it." And now I love my hair. It yeah. feels really. And, and as a man, you know, what I mean, just the like touch, feel black hair. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because I ain't getting to touch nobody else's in this lockdown. You get <laughs> I was going to go on to that because I'm going to bring up the first story that we have, right? Um, so this story, um, she's got a hashtag on Twitter. Everyone's calling this woman Gorilla Glue Girl, okay? And this woman basically had run out of, you know, the gel, you know, when black women slick their hair real, real close to their head? Do you know what I mean? And it, it looks great. It like it's laid, it's flat on your head and then you do all the baby hairs and you do, you know what I mean? So she wants, obviously that's the hairstyle she wanted to do and then she's putting a ponytail on afterwards. So she ran out of it. So she goes into, a, I guess, her kitchen cupboard and finds this stuff called Gorilla Glue. Gorilla Glue is something that is used by builders, workmen, you know, like this is a hardcore glue. This isn't just like brick stick, you know what I mean? So she gets this glue and she uses it and slicks down her hair, lays all her baby hairs, everything, sticks her ponytail on. She came online the other day, she became quite well known um, because she was saying, my hair's been like this for a month now, right? And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to laugh. I, I'm laughing out of nervousness. No, it's not funny. It's not funny, actually. But hair's been like that for a month and everyone knows black hair, well, everyone's hair grows out. I was gonna say just black hair. But I don't have any other type of hair. It's all I know, okay? So her hair, hasn't grown out at all, which is worrying because it, where is it? You know what I mean? Is it growing back into her brain? What is going on with her? No, I've laid up thinking about this at night. This is actually terrifying. So people tell this girl, go to the hospital. So she said, okay, she's gone down to the hospital and they've sent her home with a bottle of acetone, right? Now, I don't know if anybody like out here, as I'm not showing my nails because like I've lost most of them, but I'm like, I've got five, five nails left. So anyway, right, but acetone, if anyone ever gets acrylic nails, acetone is something you can pour on, like it melts off the nail. This but it is, takes ages. Yeah, it takes a it long takes time, ages. right? So they've sent this woman home with a bottle of acetone and told her basically to do it herself. I don't know if this was because of COVID, do you know what I mean? Or like they couldn't keep her in the hospital. They've sent her home, we don't even know if she got painkillers. Like the whole of black Twitter is watching this whole saga go down. And she was showing a video of herself and her friend was pouring the acetone on her head. And she's just got little um, like lumps on her head. Like you can see where they've taken some of it off. So it's taken her hair with it. And every time they're pouring the acetone on it, she's crying. And she's got little lumps on her head that look like, I don't know, little, I can't, little noggin, like little, 
they're just little lumps, okay? And they're coming up on her head and it looks really, really awful. And I kind of, I feel sorry for her. And most of what I've seen of Black Twitter has been very sympathetic to her. But I wanted to kind of say, it kind of stems from, because most people would say, oh, I haven't got any hair gel. I've run out and just leave it, right? Why, why did she feel the need to flatten her hair like that? And that is the pressure that black people are under to change their hair. Do you know what I mean? Have it like, and I know that black women have it, but it's good having two black men here because um, I wanted to talk about black male hair. Because black guys often will cut their hair very, very close to their head or they'll tie it down, they'll put waves. Do you guys feel pressure about your hair in the day to day? This is just showing off, by the way, that if you feel no pressure, this is just like, no, that's a problem for you people. I mean, I think as we get older, I mean, I think, you know, as I mean, as I said, I mean, I just talked about about baldness, you know, and on a personal level, you know, I, I do feel I do feel really conscious about being bald and, you know, not and having a big bald patch and wanting to grow hair. And it's also partly vanity as well, as well as aging, but we have a relationship with our hair, it's really special to us. And I think it's something also, um, you know, and we talk about the history of black hair and how we feed as black people and growing our hair. And so as a black man, growing my hair out, I'm not sitting there making some big political statement, but I also know that there is something political about our hair and when we grow it and we let it go. So but for black men in a workspace, yeah, like black women, we do have to, conform to a certain extent we know about dreadlocks in the workplace and and all that kind of thing so um as a black man i mean i'm really proud of my hair and i want to celebrate that i want little dreads yeah. and i've had locks before and all that kind of stuff did you have like the full locks or did you have funky funky, funky dreads? Dread. oh funky okay dread. i see yeah. you i can see you with that yeah. black hair is political do you know what i mean it really yes. is and we didn't make it that way and because it's unique to us, we are the only people with it, it with mm. Afro hair like that. It's just, I remember when I was a prison officer and I went in and I had, um, I took my hair out. I, they didn't realize because I'd always had it plaited up or weaved up or whatever. And I just took my hair out to give it a break. And because like I hadn't relaxed my hair or anything, it's completely natural. I hadn't done it for a couple of years because when you get pregnant, they say not to relax your hair. So I just said, stop doing it. And my son was a couple years old or whatever it was. I went in and my afro was huge. And the amount of time they wanted to say, well, they wanted to say something to me, right? So a few of them were like, oh, are you making some kind of statement? <clears throat> I went, no, it's just my hair. And they were like, oh, okay. And the racist little ways they tried to get around telling me they did not want my afro in the workplace without actually saying it. And they essentially, in the end, the governor called me and so I had to, they called me off the wing and they said, the governor wants to see you. I've gone to see the governor. And do you know what he came out with? You can't have your hair like that because it's a, it's a fire hazard. Oh my <laughs> they said God. If, if an inmate dropped a match off the top landing, like, cause we have five levels in Pentonville. If, if an inmate on the fives drops a match, essentially you're going to go up in flames. I was like, well, if they drop a match on everyone, everyone's going to go up in flames. You know what I mean? Like, doesn't that apply to all the hairspray like white girls were doing their quiffs with in the 90s? You know, exactly. I used to think that we'd all be smoking behind the sheds at school and, you know, all their hair would be like this, you know. Yes, and, I remember yeah, that. You know, the, like that. I always used to think, surely that'll ready to go. No, everyone's hair's a fire hazard, isn't it? Exactly. Product, but it just shows the relationship when it comes to hair 
Do you know what I mean? And just the problem that people have with it. And if you do work an Afro, they think you're up to something. They think you're trying to make some kind of statement, trying to make some kind of point. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, especially like having a little girl here as well, trying to make her love her hair. You know what I mean? I'm trying to, but to be fair, I haven't been good to her. It's <laughs> a hairdresser. She actually still, she's got a lot of confidence in her hair. You can um, love her hair by, by doing it together. You could have a bonding experience doing it together, rather just We used to. We did. We would flick up, we put on Netflix, we'd watch films. I actually learned to cane rope because of her, because I thought, okay, I'm going to try and do her hair myself. It's not worth it, man. It's, it's not 100% green, not worth it. I don't need my son's hair. Me, it's just hair. horrendous to do her hair. <laughs> she likes it when it's done, but she doesn't like it getting done. But um, yeah, so I hope Gorilla Glue Girl gets better because seriously, I don't know what kind of damage that can do. I really don't. It looks like it's taking out, I, someone wrote to the company and they put up the, the uh, email the company sent them and the company were basically like, we urge you not to put our glue in your hair. <laughs> it wasn't made for that. Um, considering she's had it for a month, but it's just the cold way the company went. Well, we don't know what will happen in her case. It could be a case of her hair's being fractured at the scalp. <laughs> they went, good luck. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's some, there's a hair product called Gorilla Snot. Yeah, but- It actually is a hair product. And it's- Yeah, but she didn't think it, And they're riffing off Gorilla Glue. So potentially if she- She didn't, she didn't. I know, I love my black sisters and I would always defend- I'm trying to back, back the girl they, up. She's going to have a hard enough time when she got exactly, no hair. Exactly, exactly. It does make you laugh like capitalism because someone tweeted, do you know what she needs? She needs her own hair care range and wigs. I'm not, I'm not buying that shit. I feel sorry for her, but who the hell is going to buy a wig or any hair care product? Oh, 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 I learned the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I came to regrowth the hardest way possible. <laughs> you know what the sad thing about it is? And we were talking about black people because it's not just Caribbeans, right? It's the whole entire black diaspora. It's black people in Africa who have no mercy. Her sister's put up a TikTok of her dancing and she's put up subtitles. She's pointing to go, don't put Gorilla Glue in your hair. It's like, you couldn't have waited. That's your sister. You couldn't have just given it a few days. You should have missed the news cycle. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> just like, Jesus Christ. There is something, I tell you, we are merciless people. Absolutely but merciless. funny, mercilessly funny. That's what we are. <laughs> I do love black Twitter and things like this happen because yes. it's just unrivaled, absolutely unrivaled. Um, so, yeah, we had quite a few things happen this week. Another thing that happened, which isn't isn't so funny. Um, Ever. Sir, uh, was it Sir Captain Tom? What was he, Sir and the Captain? Oh, in um, He raised something like 32 million for the NHS walking around his garden. Um, so he did all that and he was sponsored and he raised a lot of money for the NHS. Unfortunately, um, this week, the, the whole incident has brought out so everything because it, it transpires that he died of COVID-19 and he'd been on holiday to Barbados over Christmas. Now, um, I'm half Bajan and I was speaking about this online and I was, we were talking about what's going down in Barbados because Barbados had been pretty much COVID free. Barbados saw seven deaths in 2020 from COVID. In the first month of 2021, Barbados has had eight deaths already 
So it's had more deaths like in just over a month, essentially, than it did last year. And there has been a spate of people going to Barbados, um, essentially just to go on holiday and to avoid COVID without really considering that Caribbean islands, yes, they're great holiday destinations, but they're also places where people live. They're places where people like me have family members. And Barbados were getting pretty distressed because what happened with this latest COVID outbreak was there was a very rich guy on the north of the island who does not believe in COVID, he says. So he goes off to Barbados and he's supposed to quarantine and he has security guards um, at his house. He comes out being the entitled person he is, threatens the security guards saying, if you guys don't let me out of here, uh, you're gonna lose your job. So of course the security guards let him go because you know when you're on that island that's dependent on tourism anyway, a lot of people have lost their jobs and economically the Caribbean has been hit very, very hard by the pandemic. So this guy goes out and he ends up going to a bar and he spreads COVID. The security guards got COVID. A lot of security guards um, are also prison officers or maybe police officers in their day job and they supplement it doing security work. So he's gone on a, like a thing. We have like a bus call type thing, we, we call it, where you just get on the bus, um, you play loud, loud music, you have fun and stuff. So this security guard, without knowing he's got COVID has gone and COVID is spread. Barbados is basically in lockdown. And today, um, the Prime Minister, Mia Motley, it's got so bad and so scary, because what people don't understand is Barbados is 14 by 20 miles, okay? It's a small island, okay? It's a small um, if you will. Thank you, Mr. Maker. So <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> smally. Uh, <laughs> So look, basically that's it. Jamaicans call us smallies and Jamaica isn't actually a huge place, but it is in comparison <laughs> to some of the other islands, right? And we cannot, we cannot afford to have COVID running rampant through that, those populations because right. it is, is very, very dangerous and they had it contained. And there is a kind of um, entitlement when it comes to people who go down to the Caribbean, who go on holidays, I have been down there, um, you know, at hotels or what, I stay at hotels because <clears throat> my family's unbearable. But so when I'm in the hotels and I'm staying there, cause you know, you don't want you go back to the Caribbean. You don't always want to stay with family cause they just nag you, do you know what I mean? And everybody who's got Caribbean parents will know there's no such thing in Caribbean culture as a lion. Do you know what I mean? Not they on take a big, it big Saturday. They will come in, rip off your duvet, rip, get up, get up. And you're like, what the hell is wrong with you? And they get up and you have to be like, on a Saturday, they put on their gym ring, oh. right? And you're sitting there with a bowl of water with the floor in it and you're wiping the skirting boards. Is there any, <laughs> is there any children to... don't have to do this? <laughs> exactly, right? This is what I'm saying. These kids are crazy. <laughs> It's just, they don't care, right? So you might stay in hotels, but I find it so offensive the way sometimes I've had to step in when I hear Brit British tourists, Americans too. Um, it's mainly those two places um, that you, you know, that gather in Barbados and stuff. And I have to go when they're talking to the waiting staff, who are you talking to like that? Like you cannot come down here and speak to people like that. So you have like a whole load of people who have, um, you have rich tourists and you have people who save like all year round to have their two weeks in Barbados where they want to go down and talk to black people like like basically like there's something that's underneath their shoe. 
So we know the this kind of spirit of entitlement that comes. And what was happening was a lot of people were going down to Barbados, they were going on holiday, and Barbados will put a red tag on you if you're in quarantine. And they were making it really easy. You know, if you wanted to be quarantined and you didn't want to pay for your own private hotel, they have this thing um, called Harrison's something. I can't remember exactly what it's called, Harrison's. It's an old mi military base, but they've really done it up and it's like a really, looks like a private hospital. You can quarantine there, they feed you, um, you know what I mean? They get you drinks, everything that you want. And it's still not good enough for people. So people have been cutting off these bands. They've been wandering through Barbados. They've been spreading COVID. You had um, a Love Island contestant who was tested when she got there with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was tested positive. They were put into the hotel, really nice hotel, given red bands and just said, you have to quarantine until he's clear of COVID. Instead of doing that, they went, they got out of the hotel, they got into a taxi, they went to the airport and were trying to leave the island where they got caught, they got arrested. Um, <clears throat> this is just one example of what has been happening in Barbados. And the locals are like literally going, please, for the love of God, can you guys just obey the rules? There was another British couple who decided to uh, ha have bring a woman to their hotel for a threesome. And they caught the woman climbing over um, the gates of the hotel. So they got arrested, they got taken to court. I mean, earlier, sort of, no, late last year, there was a um, female footballer who went down there and she decided to leave and got onto a Caribbean bus. And what we call a bus in the Caribbean is like, it just stops along the road wherever and people just get on and off, on and off. So it's not just, you know, sorry, it's called a taxi down there, but it's actually like a little mini bus and people get on and off. So basically she didn't even know she had COVID and she was just, you know, putting people at risk and people have been really inconsiderate about it. So I think um, people need to think about that. And the amount of racist, horrible, disgusting messages that I've been getting, because I said, look, people live there. People have families down there. I would like to go down. My uncles asked me to come down. I would love to see my uncle again. I cannot do that right now. And if it's not a necessary journey, please consider the people of the Caribbean. And if you must go there, could you at least obey the rules? Quarantine. You know, there have been in terms of Captain Tom, everyone's safe. He, um, got given a, he got given it, didn't he, by um, British yeah. Airways. So it felt the whole thing felt really actually corporatized. And, you know, really, you're really not supposed to be flying anywhere. We shouldn't be going anywhere from literally COVID Island, which is what we are right now compared to the rest of the world. And actually our flag carrying airline did this, you know, and so yeah. the whole thing was kind of, uh, well, I don't know how to say, but approved of by British people and Britishness to go to off to one of the, you know, former colonies. And yeah, it gives a, I mean, it's all very smallpox infected blankets to me and it feels very much exactly like you said there was absolutely no regard for no sympathy no yeah, regard, no sympathy yeah no, not, not even viewing it you know you wouldn't be allowed to go and do that in spain why didn't they send them to spain wait a minute aren't, aren't, aren't people getting tested before they get on flights though not this end not no not, not this end the other end in barbados you get tested i don't think there's any proof that um he got covid in barbados anyway but because he'd been to Barbados, of course, there became a lot of outpouring and a lot of racist hate. And it just like uh, Spencer Morgan had said something to me, calling me a dumbass. 
I was like, excuse me, dumb art. He's going, yeah, well, if Barbados um, didn't want him there, they shouldn't have let him in. Now, yes. it's just this You know who he is. It's you guys know who absolute... he is. Oh, here's Morgan, Sam. Yeah, I just thought it might um, be worth clarifying because he sounds like a random otherwise. He's... Um, it's the absolute lack of regard and respect that we just see. It's just white supremacy again. It's like you think you can go to these islands, you don't care about the local people there. And then when you turn, they complain about it, you turn around and essentially say it's their fault. How can we sit here in the UK in a country that has something like 120,000 dead that has not shut their borders? So what are you trying to say then that, that British people don't care then, obviously, about their people? If you're trying to say... Barbados, which is a small island, Britain is not dependent on tourism. It doesn't run the whole economy in the way it does. So when Captain Tom died, people started writing really nasty things. I went on Twitter and I was like, oh God, Barbados is trending. This is going to be bad. And it was really bad. It was really nasty racism. It kind of brings me on to the next story. Um, essentially, there was a, a, there's a black vicar um, called Jarrell Robinson Brown, who'd written a tweet, which is deleted now. And um, I'm not going to push hard on anything because he's said he was sorry um, for the timing of the tweet and stuff. But I think comprehension is really key when it comes to these things. So he'd written this tweet and he said, um, the cult of Captain Tom is a cult of white British nationalism. I will offer prayers for the repose of his kind and generous soul, but I will not be joining the national clap. Because uh, the government organised that after Captain Tom died, that everybody, should, I think it was last Thursday, should go out and clap. Now, a lot of people didn't want to join the national clap for it, simply because to Captain Tom dying was sad. He was 100 years old. Um, people were upset, obviously, because he, he had done a, a very generous thing. He had raised a lot of money for the NHS. But a lot of people went online and said, we're not going to join in the clapping because it's an empty gesture. And we're getting sick and tired of this government when it comes to COVID, um, you know, doing these empty gestures like clap for the NHS, but you won't give the nurses a pay rise. And so Joel had made the comment. Afterwards, he said he was sorry about the timing of it, but he actually didn't make any comment about Captain Tom. He was kind of, uh, referring to what we had said, what we've just been speaking about, is basically it has, because whenever anything's connect, anyone or anything's connected to the army here in the UK, it does bring out a kind of nationalism um, that people kind of, you know, people start getting very protective over. And flag shaggers arrive. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to say flag shaggers, but you do see them on Twitter and they do. You know what I mean? They get very, and I think the problem is nobody actually read the tweet properly because that was not what he was referring to. So a lot of people have been asking that he loses his job, um, but he has got support. There is a petition and we will be putting it in the comments. He has been getting quite a lot of support um, gathering when people, because a lot of times people complain about stuff over here that they haven't even seen or haven't even read. Like, or, you know, like it doesn't even matter. I think, we do have to have a conversation and that's why we've got spaces like this where we can have a conversation because you can't do anything. Diversity, who are the most mainstream guys going out, going, going basically, who went on to Britain's Got Talent and did a, a dance and they spoke about Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter has now just become 
an insult. Do you know what I mean? It's just become like people will go, oh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, look, it's, look at this Black Lives Matter person. And whether the person's connected to Black Lives Matter or not, it's just become something to suppress conversation about race. Yes, it's like the way the word woke. This is, I was going to say, which is what happens to any of our language that comes exactly. out of the struggle, it gets co-opted. But I just, on this point, I just wanted to say, my dad said to me about the phrase Black Lives Matter the other day, he said he doesn't like it. And I thought, oh God, here we go. What's he going to say? He said, because it's not strong enough and it sounds like we're begging for our lives to matter from the master and it should just be a black fist with fuck you. Okay. <laughs> I your dad. I your dad is single. My dad is good people. I like your dad. You know, I was worried. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is for you, dad. Um, <laughs> he will be very touched by that, but it just really struck because we were just we were talking about it ends up being co-opted anyway. Exactly. Very difficult to co-opt that and a nephew though, wouldn't it? Just saying. But just to go on to the first, like moving on from drill and stuff, but when are we allowed to talk? Because it just seems we're not allowed to say anything. No. If we say, That's the point. That's if the we say, oh, okay, well, you know, let's speak about the racism in, in like medicine, medical racism. Black people are dying of COVID at a much higher rate than white people. And there is no scientific reason for that. And they did a report which was kept quite quiet where it said the reason for that is racism. It's we're more likely to be in frontline jobs. We're more likely to live in densely populated areas. We're more likely to, you know what I mean, be, be maybe living in multi-generational um, homes. Um, we do doctors to think we're suffering um, less pain and to medicate us less. So exactly. I mean, that all ties into that whole exactly. thing. Exactly, right? all ties in, but it just seems like we're being stifled and we're not allowed to say, we're not, we're not allowed to speak about our own oppression. The minute you speak about it, you get so much abuse. And I honestly think the UK is just, it just seems to be getting more and more racist to me. I don't know and if it's a, not- Can I jump in? Yeah. I mean, I, I think two things, right? On, on the language thing about language being co-opted is that, or be, it's co-opted and it's weaponized. Yes. Against yeah. us. That's what, that, that's what happens. Yeah. And I think that, that com continuously happens or the movements become politicized. Well, they're political movements anyway. If we look at yeah. the Black Panthers, the Black Panthers goes from being a group which is about feeding the poor and educating, looking after our communities to essentially what is framed as a terrorist group. But I think what we can take some solace from is that as black people and as oppressed people, we evolve and we evolve really, really quickly. So the minute that they're taking woke, we are moving on to something else, right? We're, we're doing something, we're doing something. And you're right, Ava, about when are we allowed to talk? And it's, I think for me, what's really frightening right now is it's in every fiber and they're, not, and they're not scared. So number one, it's online and it's amplified constantly when you get it or people like Jarrell get it. But then when you, when you hear ministers like, you know, Kemi Bad Enoch, right? Um, and the other one, when you hear all of that and as an old school activist, someone has been around, when you read the things, what's frightening is how unbelievable it feels. Yeah. How unreal, when people are faced with facts, when people are faced with news, they're constantly just pushing back on it. And all I think I know that I can do is to try to turn inwards to my people. I can't have those battles with white people. I, just, I cannot do it. I mean, there's certain comments, certain lines I just won't get into. I can have my conversation with black people, 
with white folk, those battles, they kill us. That's part of the battle. That's part of the white supremacy. They're designed to. Exactly. But it's interesting, you talk about us evolving. White supremacy evolves all the time. Yes. It has to, yeah. to adapt and change. That's why you'll find, um, I think we spoke about it a bit in our first episode when we had black Jewish people here. Like Jewish people, white Jewish people were not even considered white. They just will extend whiteness to keep surviving. Polish people weren't considered white at a point in their lives, a point in history, sorry. And yeah, it's it's really getting quite disturbing out there. And I agree, like Aisha, like that's why you just get to the point where your dad is like, do you know what? Big fist, F off. You feel like you might as well say that because it doesn't matter how gently or yeah. how nicely you try to say, well, hold on, this is how we feel about this. It's like, go back home if you don't like it. <laughs> like, well, I would go back home. Yeah, exactly. We're facing COVID over there as well. It's yeah. not like we can live in peace over there either. So yeah. it just comes a point, and it is, and we did speak about Kemi last week in the light of what has happened, because they have now got black people. It's almost like the gaslights got so bad. It's like, you know what? We're going to use black people to oppress what well, they've done it throughout history. They've done anyway. it. But it, like Uncle now, with the Tory party are really onto something with these prominent um, Asians and black people that they have in their ranks and they have them right in the cabinet and they like to look at them and boast. Um, you can kind of tell what's, who somebody is by um, who defends them anyway. So anytime you say anything about these black, I do notice, right? If I say something online about race, it's you, fuck Black Lives Matter. Yeah, Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, but have you noticed whenever Kemi does something, no one calls her Black Lives Matter. No one calls quasi Black Lives Matter. And we know exactly why that is. And it is getting to the point now where, where do we have these conversations? Because, okay, we can go, people can go to the police then get the person taken to court. That's exactly what Ian Wright did this week. Ian Wright, somebody had sent him vile racist abuse, wishing death upon him. I mean, Jesus, he's just a football pundit, do you know what I mean? Just talking about that, I How does that warrant? This is what makes me, make, make, I find so interesting. It's like no black person is safe. Lorraine Pascal, who was getting the worst racist abuse, when she was she was baking cakes, I mean, being beautiful and home baking home. cakes in a beautiful home. Like they the were gorgeous cakes, put with beautiful icing, and she got like showed some of the cherries. There were cherries on one of the cakes, I remember. Right. And she got a, a a tweet going, "We don't need you to teach us how to cook." M word. First of all, with senior food, you do. <laughs> Second of all, right, like like baking cakes. Ian Wright's talking about football on TV, what has Wrighty ever done to anybody? Apart from score goals for this country, apart from <laughs> that, what has he done? Exactly. Apart from win you football matches that you that you have take such umbrage with, it's crazy. Exactly. Mar Marcus Rash Rashford says, I don't like to share it, but I get so much racist abuse. What has that Marcus baby, Rashford done? That poor done? baby. Except, exactly, 23 years old. Look Amy. at the amazing work that he has done. And he gets the most vile racist abuse. You just don't- Isn't he the leader of the opposition at the moment? Is he what, sorry? Isn't he the leader of the opposition at the moment? Oh, he might as well be, honestly, he might as well be. <laughs> he's my leader of the opposition anyway. Definitely, I mean, he's doing the work. And on top of that, yes. he's going out and scoring goals in the football and then coming off, like he'll log off Twitter and go, 
oh, I'm sorry, I've just got to get a game to go to. He's like, he's talking like he's just going to go out and kick a yeah, on side the side with his mates. It's like, no, you're a Premiership League footballer. He goes, I'll go do a bit more when I get back. You know what I mean? Trying to stop these the poorer children in this country becoming Oliver Twists. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's doing something. How can people still be? It's just no one is safe from this racist abuse, and it really is amplified. Not only is it amplified, it's actually a lot of it's just started to be imaginary. And did we, did we all see the um, headline? Richard Littlejohn, who's not famous for essentially, you know, for his uh, enlightened views on race, basically put up a, a photo of um, uh, Tom Moore's Tom Moore statue and Jarrell. He puts a photo of Jarrell and then he puts a photo of another statue. And um, the headline said, how long will it be before BLM pull down Sir Tom Moore's statue? The point is there is no statue. So they're instilling so much fear and trying to make Black Lives Matter seem this like, exactly as Mark mentioned, the Black Panthers, where they were doing, the FBI were doing like letterbox saying, you've got to be scared of these people. You've got to be scared of these people. And how, horrible and disgusting is it that all we, people are trying to say oh black lives matter that's literally all it says and you're getting hate it's just like even if you do go into those mainstream spaces i mean on woman's hour this week have we mentioned woman's hour every single week because <laughs> do you know why she hour. makes us do it they literally hired an out and out might need to cut that for libel but slander <laughs> but she, you can't she's that she sat there with poor Zara Mohammed today or yesterday, wasn't it? And said to her, How many female imams are there? How many female imams? And Zara says, Well, it's not really like that, it's a bit more complicated because anyone can lead prayer, but an imam is somebody who gets paid. It's, it's different, they're different things. How many female imams are there? How many? She got stuck up on this thing trying to prove some massive point that Islam is um, really sexist religion. And it was really, really racist. It was completely racist. And she got away with it. It was, very, it was very, very uncomfortable to watch. Horrible. It was like a got you moment. Um, but she thought it was a got you moment. It was trying to be a got you moment, basically. It was just very uncomfortable. And it took kind of took away from what Zara's actually achieved because Zara is the first uh, female secretary of the Muslim Council of Britain. And she thought she was going on there to speak about that and to, you know, essentially speak about the work that she does. And she just ended up being berated. And that kind of takes me on to the next thing um, that I want to speak about because uh, we all have identities um, obviously we're all black people and we have other identities as well. And um, you two are part of the LGBT community, actually this black LGBT royalty that we have here. And when you guys are pulled in to have, do you find that you ever get in interviews like that? Do you know what I mean? Where you've gone to talk about something and because, oh, okay, let's just clear Like for years and years and years, they've always said black people are homophobic. Black people are homophobic. Black people are just so terrible. We are the worst homophobes in the entire world. We absolutely hate um, uh, the LGBT community. Then you have members of the black LGBT community going, hello, I'm black and LGBT. And they're like, shut up. We're talking to you. We're trying to save you. And they're like, I'm fine. You know what I mean? I'll just at my house, have my breakfast. Don't fit our narrative. And it is like, so, so when you, 
do you guys ever find that you, if you've ever done an interview and you go in to talk about, because I know Mark, you do a lot of work around um, prep, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well. We can just briefly mention what you do because it's so, so important. And do you find that ever interviewers start asking about stuff that's got nothing to do with it? I mean, I think sometimes an expectation that I'm going to have a really sad dog's napping at my heels, terrible Jamaican parents, homophobia in there somewhere. So I'm always big at pushing a counter narrative. So, I mean, I've done a lot of press in the past couple of weeks about, you know, I know we're going to talk about it's a sin, but I've done a lot of press there. And I've done a lot of pushback about representation around black families and, and acceptance of homosexuality. Whilst accepting that, you know, for, for, for a lot of us, and, but not just black kids, but a lot of queer kids, they have a really hard time growing up. But in black communities, it's not uniform. You know, it, it's, it's a really mixed story. I think there's also about, yeah, I mean, sticking to the media stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that happens, but I always push back with that there's a different narrative to be told. Yeah, Very because I mean, I, I, I had Stephen Amos, I do a, a live show at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. I had Stephen Amos down there and I was speaking to him like how, about how things, I was asking him essentially how things have changed for him. Because I think a lot of times, like a few years ago, he did a documentary um, on Channel 4 and it was called Batty Man, right? I don't know how he got away with it. I was like, mate, that was on Channel 4. Remember the schools program they used to have? You know what I mean? These were like things that were going out to like, it's age 16 to 18. And I just, it goes, and next on, I remember just sitting there and it was like, next on, we have Batty Man. I was like, you what? Like at my TV, what did you just say? First of all, how he got away with that anyway, whatever. But what one scene I found really interesting from the documentary was that, um, he was walking along and he had like a group of guys, just mixed guys. So it was black guys, white guys, um, a couple of Asian guys. And he just stopped strangers and said, can you point out who is gay? And um, people would always point out the white guys. So he took the white guys out of the lineup and just had black guys. So he said, can you point out in this lineup who is gay? And everybody went for the lightest skinned person. Right? <laughs> I just found it really interesting because there was just this inherent view that black guys weren't gay. I mean, did you, did you guys find that if you, do people just expect you not to be gay because you're black? Well, I always say I'm not gay. I'm, my husband is, but you know, that's not <laughs> All right, let me let me tell you a story I had with a, a, a reporter. I, I once did a, 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 so I'm a DJ, yeah? A, a, club DJ and gay clubs and whatnot. And they, they, they wanted me to talk about um, homophobic dancehall music. And I got totally misquoted in this article. Like for instance, um, there was a, uh, we were talking about a song at the time, it was called Tech Buddy. You remember this song, Tech Buddy? And you, we know what Tech Buddy means, right? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Judy Love used it. We were brought up on dancehall, so. <laughs> Yeah. So he, in the article, he translated me saying tech buddy meant kill gay men, kill them all. He actually wrote that in the Guardian that, you know, he translated tech buddy to meaning kill gay men and whatnot. So that's just to show you how off their whole reporting is. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like he asked me questions and then he went and translated it in his own way. And I, I took a lot of stick for that because people were then saying, well, why would you have said such things to this man? You know, you seem to be in support of it. When I really wasn't, 
you know, but he he just twisted it. So, you know, there's that angle as well, just showing you that they will twist even our words. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all be like, yeah, you do get missed. You just think you give a quote for a reason and you're not supposed to just change it. Just yeah. like, I remember once um, doing, when I was going up to do my first Edinburgh show and they did an interview with me and they said, oh, you know, Vidal got pregnant at, at 17, but she said it was fine because it's the Caribbean way. Oh, I didn't, I did not, I didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, okay, it kind of is because what both my grandma and my mum were, but that isn't the point here. <laughs> it's like, I have to go to, I still have to go to PAX. I still have to get black hair stuff. I have to still go around black people. And you said I said that and I bloody yeah. didn't. But it, honestly, the misquoting, but something else that's like, to go back to what Biggie said, like, it's also, they don't even understand the culture. Yes. They will have people coming and writing a story about this, um, you know, about music or whatever. And, and they don't even understand what it means. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, like I said, I know what it means now. I'm half Bajan, as I said, you can see from the other flag, I'm half Dominican, right? I didn't even know, what was that? Um, fire make we burn them thingy. Do you know how I found out what that meant? Is when I got slapped in the back of my head by my aunt for singing it as she was doing my hair. Cause I didn't know what it meant. I just thought that's a nice song. That's a nice tune. So I was just singing along to it. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it is absolutely, yeah. You can't have people because even within the Caribbean, we don't always understand what is going on and, and what the words mean. And yes. as these journalists, which is why we talk about representation, and having our own spaces and being able to speak on our own stuff, essentially, so that misinterpretations like that don't happen. Um, I was um, gonna say, I think related to that, as someone who grew up, my mum was Jamaican, my dad's not, but we, my parents were really, really, really into dancehall. It was a classic. They would have a tape from the sound with, you know, when Leanne Rhymes, um, the cover of How Can I Live Without You came mm. out the reggae one. I was like, it's only just come out in the charts here and my dad's bouncing it in his car because, you know, there was that gap. But because it came from America, from Jamaica to America, and then the fling over here and it being a sound, so it's in the car, so it's that. We had all these songs, but despite growing up in a West Indian Jamaican family, I knew my grandma's patois, but I didn't know the patois 40 years later, like now. So there was things that even then we don't know. So you're having some white guy called Tom review something by, I don't know, Shabba. It's just a waste of everyone's time. And yet it carries on to this day. So we will talk a bit about um, Russell T Davis. I saw that you did a talk with him the other day, one of these Zoom things, Mark. Yeah. Uh, it's a sin came out. Um, it's a series by Russell T. Davis. It was a five part series and it was on Channel 4 and it was based in the late 80s, early 90s, um, um, when the AIDS crisis was at its height, essentially. And first of all, I was surprised how long it took Russell Davis to get commissioned. Like I saw an interview with him in Pink News talking about it and he said he just kept taking it to places and they're going, no, 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 thank you which shocked me because anyone who ever worked in TV or done TV writing as I have, you just assume there's certain people that will bring a series to you and immediately it will get commissioned. So it kind of just um, brought it home to me again, because obviously sometimes you live um, in your bubbles and you have your certain amount of friends. So you forget how pervasive um, homophobia is. 
And I couldn't believe some of the reactions he was getting as he was uh, taking that script around. And it just had one person who believed in it, who literally put it into a drawer and kept it there until it changed. they changed commissioners at Channel 4 and then said, and then that person finally green lights <laughs> it. We've all seen it, right? Have you watched it, Cal? It's in. Have you watched it, Aisha? I, I haven't yes, seen the I uh, watched the end of it last night. Episode, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Cal. What did you say? I'm on the last episode now because I, I watched yeah. it before, but I just haven't watched the last one. Yeah. Okay, we'll be careful. How, yeah, I mean, we're not going to go into the plot or anything about it. I mean, it's more like, how did you feel? How have you guys? Because you guys were there at the height, you know, at those times of what they're portraying in that film. How did you guys feel watching it? You got my first, did you? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, for, for me, it brought back a lot of memories of, of people that have gone. I mean, the whole thing of um, people just disappearing and going back off to their parents to die and whatnot, I remember that vividly, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was a sad time. There was a lot of people just, just disappearing. And, yeah. you know, I, I know, you know, with the HIV nowadays, you, you know, it's, 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 it's not seen like it was then, you know, there was a lot of people that were sick who would be out at the clubs. You know, you'd see somebody come into a club on a, in, in, in a wheelchair and whatnot, and you know, like, what's up with him? And then, you know, people would talk and whatnot. And, you know, so it's a whole different thing these, these days, thankfully, because it was traumatic. It really was. Yeah. You know? so. Did you feel re-traumatized watching it? Or did you feel I, like, oh, look how far we've come? Or did you... Yeah, I, I, it was more about look how far we've come and and just remembering people that have gone, really. Mm. What about you, Mark? I mean, there were, I mean, yeah, like Calvin, there were there were moments where it, it did take me back. I mean, some of it was set a little bit earlier then, because I think the HIV the H, HIV hit black gay communities in big numbers a little bit later, mid eighties, right? And this is set like early eighty one, eighty two, but. When we were both young men coming out in our, in our late teens, early twenties, that we would definitely go out, and it's exactly what what Calvin has described: is that you know you go to a club or you go to a party, and or you you know you just hear. I mean, I remember getting occasional phone calls, you know, um, and it was frightening. I mean, I was diagnosed myself, you know, in '86, so that was really really early on. So for all of us, it was frightening, um, but we kind of. What, I, what was also interesting about the, the, the TV show was it reminded me of a way that we used to live and a way that we used to party and we used to rave and how, how much smaller it was. So, like, you know, all those scenes in the pubs, we would party in pubs, which these days, if you speak to black people, you're going to go where on a Friday night? And we would rave in a pub, right? And there'd be a different type of closeness and an intimacy. And we're a much, much smaller community here in London, like everybody knew each other. So, so when you know all know each other, I mean, you lose people, then it becomes even harder. Then you've got this mysterious thing amongst you and you just never know where it's gonna strike. So it was, it was but it was also, you know, a nice reminder of how yeah. beautiful it was once. Yeah. And um, the cast of It's a Sim was multiracial. Um, how divided was it? Was, was that a true reflection or was it, because obviously like Cal, you play on, the black gay scene, um, how different was it for, was it, did everybody, was everyone drawn together through this or was it still very segregated? It's always been segregated. I mean, I mean it was, 
I mean, that, that story could have been true, definitely. You know, what, what he's portrayed is definitely a part of it. But, you know, there was groups of, there was just black guys together, or it may have just been Asians together, white people together, whatever, you know what I mean? So there was many different stories going on there. But definitely that was the story of the time. It's yeah. Just, it was. Yeah. I mean, I came out, I mean, when I came out at 16, I made a couple of friends at college, very similar to in the film. And we would go to those mixed white pubs. And I, and I used to like listen to a bit of indie music or pop music. But then a couple of, a year or two late, years later, I would meet somebody like Biggie and would find a black gay scene where it would be all black. And you go to blues dances and we'd have one or two clubs, but they would be mixed, but there would be a completely black vibe. But there was a big, big underground scene of all black people, which, yeah. didn't, which didn't mix at all. I, um, I didn't realise this, so I spoke to my uncle, who is 56, maybe, and um, came out when he was 18 or something. But, you know, he's a, he, he got married later and had kids later. It's not, you know, it's not an easy, it wasn't, wasn't an easy time, but he um, said that he found places and he found that quite amazing when he found a couple of black almost like hole in the wall clubs you know you just go down into a basement or whatever and and he said he found that really quite liberating but interesting because there was just he had no experience of being gay and black with other people you know it's one thing to be gay and black in a club like you said with with a load of white gay guys there or some lesbians or it's a bit no. specifically I can remember just going into a club and you'd be the only black person in there, you know, and straight away they'd see uh, you as a black person coming in and Michael Jackson would come on. What, you mean you're not Michael Jackson? Because, like, I'm Beyonce, so what? what's going on here? <laughs> Finding those black spaces was like... Gold dust. I mean, it was a whole new, 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 new world. It really yeah. was. Yeah, I think it saved a lot of our lives. I mean, in, in, a, in, a, in a physical sense, I mean, in, a, in a spiritual sense. Yeah, it yeah. did, you know, when you come out, especially in the 1980s, you know, it's, it's deeply racist out there and it's homophobic and you've got the AIDS crisis and you walk into this space and there's other black men like you. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember going to my first party and hearing people speaking Bajan accents, Grenadian accents, Jamaican accents, mm -hmm. and they're all big men. And they're yeah. kiki, the girl this, and, and I'm like, what the, you know? And that's, <laughs> Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful thing. But I think, you know, what's really important, though, is to remember is that it's in the same way that our straight counterparts had their, 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 their scene developing, this was done out of necessity. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one, because we want to party together. We love, we love each other. But it's out of necessity because these other places, they've got white, they've got racist door policies. Yeah. If you get in your, it's racist bar staff or other patrons, they yes. don't play the music that we like. You Racism doesn't disappear because you're gay. To add to that, Mark, as well. <laughs> there's still white guys in there, right? And they yeah. To add to what Mark's saying there as well, um, back then as well, they would always say, you know, black people never spent money on drinks, so they would yeah. never, they would never want black people in the clubs. It was like um, right. You know, you'd have to you'd have to mix it up. There have to be white people here as well, you know. Otherwise, it's never going to last. So and if I you went as a group of black guys, you would, I mean, my dad would always say that if they went as a group of black guys anywhere, they would never let in anyway. But as if you went as a group of gay black guys to a gay venue? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean. that, that, is a, that is a really good point because I ended up a couple of years ago getting into serious, ugh. Because um, 
it, that still goes on now, right? There's certain places, because yeah. I know, Mark, you do, um, you put on nights and stuff and you have stuff where black gay men can come and chat and fellowship, get to know each other, have a kind of support network. And it is hard mm. to even now get venues, even gay ones. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think, I, the thing is, and the thing is, I tend not to, I mean, when I have, I haven't done it in a while, um, not just because of lockdown, but I tend not to work in gay venues like that. I mean, I tend not to bother with them, you know? And not because it's, it's just because I find places where they're more community related. It's just about commercial spaces for yeah. me, you know? But um, I was gonna make a point about the clubs, but I mean, it does still go on to this day um, yeah. where, where people have that. And it's difficult for us to find those spaces to do those things as well. Because I remember I came down and did one of your nights and it was at a venue that had a bit of controversy around it. And I had a white gay friend who essentially, I was actually in Barbados like a few days before that. And I'm oh. like, mate, I'm in Barbados, can you stop? He's like, why are you playing that? I need to get hold of the uh, organizer. I want to speak to that organizer. Do you, who's Mark Thompson? Do you know him? I was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, can you put me, I was like, he was like, can you put me in touch with Mark? I was like, oh yeah. I'll put you in touch with Mark, all right? You call Mark and talk like that and see what happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sitting in Barbados with my cocktail going, yeah, why don't you message Mark what you just yeah, said? Right? So it was like, but he just wouldn't stop going on. And I tried to say, look, I'm not doing it. Sometimes as black people, and particularly when it's black gay people, you can't find the venue. So when you, I'm, not, I'm hardly out there doing a gig for McDonald's. I'm not doing a gig out there for some, you know, horrible, unethical, massive company like we have to and it was just zero understanding about it and you know so I think it's important that people need to understand that you have to find those spaces you can't even within well, gay scene you can't it doesn't necessarily follow you can have a black night yeah I mean there's, you know, there's a certain there's a certain you know well-known West End promoter who I if they, they could offer me a free night every night of the week with a free bar but because the comments he's made about Somalian drug dealers and the like there's not a chance in hell so, you know, it's also about having dignity and working with integrity when we do these things as well, right? Absolutely, yes. 100%. And um, I know the guy you're talking about and he has none. So I, uh, <laughs> honestly, it's, um, yeah. So so in It's a Sin, you saw some stuff that you recognized and some stuff that you didn't. Yeah. When, oh, can I ask you this? Um, so, you guys, neither of you guys are particularly camp, right? Did you find that protected you? Yeah. The assumption that black <laughs> men... But I can be. <laughs> you can be, but you're not... You know what I mean? Did you find... Because I want to go on to ask a question yeah, that somebody yeah, yeah. put to, to me, and I asked it online, and it caused a lot of problems, and I just want to clear this up, right? So, so it's, it's a two-part thing. So what I want to ask, like, you guys, did you feel like, especially back then, when there was so much homophobia and the government were were putting out leaflets and, and you know, gay men were seen as a danger. Because you guys are black and people don't always assume black guys are gonna be gay. Did you find back then it helped you being black? Did it help you to, um, you know, not to, what's the word that I wanna use? Uh, were we passing? Huh? Yes, passing. Yeah. Mark's laughing. I mean, I was, never. I mean, I was out. I mean, I, I mean, I was always out. I mean, the thing it was when I was at college. When I, I mean, I left school. I went straight to college to do my A levels, and yeah. I was, I was, in, I was in a social work course, and it was eighty percent black, 
and most, mostly black women. And I never came out there because it really felt unsafe. It felt really unsafe because they were so homophobic. Yeah. But I found a couple of cool, like a couple of mixed race girls and blah, 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 and we formed a little crew and I was, it was really easy to come out to them. I found it really, really difficult. So my blackness, I don't know if my blackness protected me, but it wasn't around HIV, they just were. And it took me a while to eventually get quite ballsy and just be like, this is who I am. Um, yeah. I've only just reached. I've only just reached that point. I don't even think I've even reached it properly yet. You know, mm. this is the first time I'm doing something like this online, just outing myself like this. Yeah, my family, not to my family and all of that, but you know, to the to the wider community, no. I mean, it, it's my business. I've always just seen it as my business. If somebody was to ask me, you know, I ain't gonna lie, but I've never felt the need to wear a flag or, you know, put it out there that I'm I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, no, I no, I hear that. I, what I wanted to ask as well, because someone had made a comment and I'd asked it on the Black Woman's Hour page and it was, because somebody had said, um, had raised the question in, I don't know, it was in Clubhouse and I don't like that thing, but anyway, someone dragged me in there. So I was on Clubhouse and this woman came on and she had said, oh, but you have to understand when it comes to sort of something like white gay men can hide basically they can, I can't remember how it was phrased, to be honest. She said something along the lines of white gay men still got white gay, have still got white privilege because they just, all they have to do is say, just pretend they're not gay, essentially. And I said, well, I don't think that's true. Like, I know some white gay guys, do you know what I mean? Who are just walking along the road, minding their business, and someone will wind down a car window and hurl insults at them. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't I mean, know. I'm trying to work out what I'm actually asking. What I'm trying to ask is um, how insulting is it to, to, for people just to think your sexuality is something you should just put in a box or you can put it in a box or whatever? I don't know. I mean, it's, look, I mean, it's, I mean, we all take different stances on it, right? Because I'm not a great, I never have been a great advocate for outing people or saying that people should be out and, and all the rest of it. Coming out about your sexuality, it, it shouldn't have to be, right? But it is a personal thing because it is a statement and it does come with so much because of, because of the way that think people attach to it. So you go from being just so-and-so to being, oh, that's a gay person. And do I have to imagine this? And you, you bring all your baggage. To it and you're always and in his gay people we're like oh fuck do i have to deal with this baggage so that's why sometimes we just hold it in most of some of you know loads of us are really comfortable happy confident with our with who we're, with our sexuality but we also know that by coming out it opens doors for conversation so i came out to my family they were all open but i know when my uncles found out it was a whole different kettle of fish so i understand why why when my brother calvin goes actually i'm out to my family but not to the whole world because it brings a whole different ball game with even, even well, now I, I work in social care and i work with a lot of um africans and west indians or whatever and i just don't feel the need to you know go in and say you know this is who i am and whatnot because i i could definitely see a change in the dynamics of how we are now you know i've heard a couple of conversations that have been going on in the background and i hear who they are you know yeah. I hear, yeah. I hear who they are, and I know if I, if I, if I let them know who I am, it's going to be totally different. Yeah, and the thing is, what we got, 
the things that we've got to remember, right? Let's let's swap Calvin over. Let's talk about that white privilege, gay man privilege thing, right? Let's check this for a second, that scenario, right? Let's swap Calvin over and make Calvin a white gay man walking in that space, right? Now, Calvin... Which they have only, in my face as well, white gay right? man. Totally embrace them, but me, I can see... Well, it. yeah, but bear, bear with me, right? So Calvin, in one way, is not only protecting himself, he's protecting these, these women. Not these women, these people who might be being homophobic, because he, he knows if he comes out and he faces any homophobia, he has absolutely every single right to report those people, right? And to deal with that stuff there, right? But he's probably also thinking, well, fuck it, if I do that, it's going to be drama, it's going to be trouble, blah, 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 blah. Let's swap that over for a white guy that walks in one day, he's like, yes, girl, blah, blah, and he upsets auntie. And then auntie makes some homophobic comment. I bet you two minutes that white boy is going straight to HR, mm. right? He's not thinking about their black women. Do you know what I mean? It's like my rights as a gay man. Well, this is, so, it, this is the intersection. Complex. Yeah, it's the intersection. So I think for us mm. black queer people, it's, I, I advocate, I mean, I don't advocate coming out. I advocate coming out personally because I think it's a powerful thing to be your authentic self and to state it to the world. I think it's political. It moves us forward because every single gay person that somebody knows, it changes, right? But also I'm kind to my people because I'm like, the world's tough out there for us. It's tough. And I don't know what it, but also I'm 51 and I've walked this gay life for 30 odd years. I don't know what it means for a 21 year old who lives on a council estate in Peckham somewhere, surrounded by a mandem. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know what it means for him or for her or for them. I don't. They, that. They, may be, they may be embracing it and it's like, yes, they may be getting their dicks up, so they may, all of that shit, but they may also be living in some really tough times. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Cal, you were going to say something. No, I was, I was going to add to that. I, I played at a 18th birthday party for a gay kid in Peckham, yeah. in the state, you know. <laughs> and for me, it was, it was a joy to see how the parents of all the kids that were there had embraced them. You know, it was 90% it was yeah. black kids, gay, lesbians, you know, all around the age of 16 to maybe 21. And it was mostly mothers there, I have to say that. There was a couple yeah. of fathers there, but it was mostly the mothers and whatnot. But it was just lovely to see how it was all being embraced and it was just a normal thing. You know, it was like, yeah. it was yeah. part of their lives, it was their lives. And I thought that was beautiful. I really yeah. did. Yeah, I think I've seen that across um, the racial, the whole racial spectrum anyway. It's mainly mums, isn't it? Yeah. That are there as opposed to, opposed to dads. So we talked about it's a sin and what was realistic and what wasn't realistic. One thing you guys said you couldn't relate to as much was the soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> so you guys put uh, your own it's a sin soundtrack. You, you uh, blacked it up <laughs> and, and said what you guys are playing. Can you just pick a couple of songs of that soundtrack and tell them what it meant to you? I mean, I was looking at soundtrack and yeah, yeah, I love that one, love that one. <laughs> like, um, Somebody else's guy is me and my mum's jam. Don't make me start the beginning note now because I will. Honestly, my mum and I, every single word of that song. The Homewreckers Anthem. Um, so Homewreckers <laughs> Anthem indeed. Don't tell them everything, Ava, we're on a show. No, we're still adding, we're still adding to, the, to, to, to the list. And, and it was funny because the other night, Another Man by Barbara Mason just came back into my head. And yeah, I could, there you go. A real anthem on the gay scene, like people would sing that word for word. Yeah. <laughs> Start to finish, you know what I mean? Like that was a jam right there. Yes. Yeah. And then of course Biggie used it. So, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it, yes. It yeah, yeah. 
It must be good. <laughs> how was the reaction to the playlist? Were people just like relieved, like, oh yeah, actually, this was more like, you know what I mean? I mean, I, 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 remember. I know, I, I know for my, myself, people just messaging me and saying, oh my God, this is taking me back. And then there oh. were clubs that were there because you have to know something about me. I played at, you might as well say, every black gay event since 1987. Yeah. <laughs> there was a club that opened and whatnot, and I wasn't playing there. Then it wasn't a club, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I did all those parties and clubs and all the rest of it. Just Why do you look so young, please? Sorry? Why do you look so young, please? I'm, I'm drinking. I'm <laughs> You're as young as a man you feel, isn't it? Exactly. Oh, <laughs> that's why you look so young. Out of the box. A young uncle like that. <laughs> No, but seriously, um, yeah, I was just getting messages from people that I haven't spoken to for maybe 20 years even, you know, saying, oh my God, they said, you know, because music always takes you back to a time or a, or, a, or a scenario, you know what I mean? And people just telling me their experiences when they first heard this song or that song. It's been beautiful. So, of course, I'll let Mark tell you about it, but we're working on a part two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, good. Are yeah. you working on a post-lockdown rave? And are what? straight women allowed? Well, you know what? We're, we're, we're already, I mean, we're already, as Calvin says, we're going to look at, we're looking at dropping something, a little follow up soon, but it's going to be something special, something slightly different. Yeah. Same, same kind of vein. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny when you say, you know, will we do something, will we do a big rave, big people rave? And when we, before lockdown, you know, for a long time, we've both been talking about, because we've been friends for over 30 years. And we've both been talking about a space, you know, spaces for older people, not just older people, but a vibe where it's just, yeah, it's music that we love, music that we yeah. want to be, the space that we want to be. And immediately when we did this, people were like, you know what I mean? We need a club like that. So, you know, we're starting to plot and plan in our head for 2020. You know, black people don't stop partying. <laughs> they don't get too old to party. My yeah. friends keep telling me to have a party. I'm like, no, because my parents will come and they won't leave. They won't leave at a respectable 11 o'clock. It'll be bloody, you know, action on the dance floor by, you know, Terra Fabulous. And my dad and his wife will be winding and grinding in the corner at 4 30. I'm like, please go. You know, so I think that's a problem, though. Um, in many I areas. agree. Not, not your, no, I'm talking about what Mark has just said. I think it is a problem though. Like, where do black grown ups go? Because even like when they have like parties, this even where we had this space, because I was like, we just want to have conversations that adult black people are having. It's mm -hmm. always, if they do want to bring something out that's black, if it's a new night or it's a TV show, it's a Top Boy, which is great. I love Top Boy um, or whatever, but it's just like, where are ones like us who had who all will crack up laughing when we talk about Caribbean parents and their wicked ways because we relate to it so we've got like we're the second generation mm -hmm. and then it's almost like it skips us mm -hmm. and it goes straight to like the younger people do you know what I mean so having those places where you can go out is absolutely super important and I will be there because I've been to um, one of Mark's parties before Actually, we will bring Aisha's parents too. Honestly, they're hilarious. Oh, I, um, one of them, I, feel, I, I can't ever. go anywhere without no, them. Please. What do you say, Mark? Yeah. One, one of the nicest things that we got was on, was on Twitter. Somebody messaged me and was like, I'm so grateful for this playlist. We love it. This is, this is music my mum used to play on Saturday when she was cleaning. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I was like, I was like Joyce Sims is the Jim Reeves of this generation. 
SOS fan John Holt. That it's just that lit. And that was that was beautiful because you know it skipped. And and I think as Calvin said, not only did it take people back, it introduced yeah. people to something. It showed people that there was this alternative world. And that's why yeah. we listed when we posted, we listed all of the clubs as well. Yeah. Because we want people to understand it doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we've got part two coming up soon. I'll I'll tie Excellent. Um, Hi. Just quickly take you on to like I know that mainstream gay gay uh, venues are struggling or mainstream. What do you think the scene's going to look like when you guys finally come out? Because there's no specific black gay club, is there? It's like we just have nights. Like I've seen you at the Scala. I've um, probably mm -hmm. I've seen you Vauxhall. Yeah. Like I've seen you at all these different club nights, but they're not specifically black gay clubs. How do you think the nights will? I mean, it's. You, you, you can't predict that. I mean, I, I, I can't even say, all I know is I'll be working hard to do what I want to do when yeah. we finally get out of lockdown. But how, every, I think things are gonna change definitely, but how, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> don't because know. yeah, it's just like, you see even the, like I said, the mainstream gay venues are just not, you know, not doing well at all. Like I said, I've got a night at the RVT. Um, the RVT has been really, really struggling with this lockdown. Um, and they kind of were hit double hard as well because it's like um, they had the 10 p.m. curfew as well, which hit LGBT venues because people tend to go out later. And I don't know, like where are these places going to be when lockdown's over? How many are going to get through it? There are some that are doing it. Via Zoom, maybe. I don't know. Huh? <laughs> Just go via Zoom. <laughs> the, whole, the whole lockdown thing. Maybe it's just going to continue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but the spaces are so, so important to people and they're really needed. You are seeing some venues. It's like what you said, it's like going out, seeing people like you, seeing people, hearing the Bajan accent, hearing the Grenadian accent, just seeing, do you know what I mean? And and also for the younger people coming up as well, to have elders in their community, they know where they are and they can go down to this night, have a good time, they don't feel out of place. So I'm really, really keeping my fingers crossed for... I fear, um, I fear though, that we've lost something during this whole pandemic, and that is just the social interactions with each other. Yeah. It's like, it's going to be really difficult coming back out of it because of the fear of COVID still being around or, you know, what, what that, pe people's minds are going to be all over the place. One of the interesting things that came out in the It's a Sin, where he meets uh, Gladys Pugh, which when I spoke to my uncle about, it, he said he's, that just touched him. So he said, because that when he came to London and there was just, there was just a Gladys Pugh that everyone in their little group of friends had, and they had all these names for each other. And he said that was done really well. But um, when he, sorry. Don't get us too started on that. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh, I feel like you guys should meet him. You would. I should just get myself off and just call him and put him on the Zoom chat because I think you guys would have a lot to talk about. But he also said that Gladys meeting those older guys um, and how you know you were just saying about elders have a that whole thing for some a young guy who's coming out or doesn't know he's even coming out. You know, doesn't know what he's going on and even obviously what happened to him with football shirt and stuff, that kind of stuff. All of that kind of, you need people to be around. You need to be physically close to them. You need to, for any of that to happen really, it's very difficult to get that via, I don't know, Twitter or online. You know, you need to just to 
sat down maybe next to someone in a bar or, you know, just for someone to clock that you are that naive or you are that vulnerable, maybe. I'm sorry, but I, I want Mark to talk about the names. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, Calvin knows more about the names. I mean, everybody had, had nicknames. I mean, Calvin will talk more about this. i just say something really, just really quickly about the just COVID thing and the venues, right? Yeah. The, 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 the LGBT scene, the commercial scene, the gay scene, whatever you want to call it, was on its legs anyway, before COVID. Mm. So those venues were closing down, you know, they were getting tired, you know, um, the club nights were getting samey. Um, so- Around them. I mean, uh, building works around them. Look what's happened to Vauxhall. Vauxhall, all the clubs yeah. down there closed. Yeah, all of that stuff was happening before, before COVID. Yeah. It started yeah. to impact on the gay scene. And, and a lot of the LGBT community had gone online, but not, to save their community. Right? Yeah, yeah. And we're forgetting yeah. about it. So gay men were no longer going to bars and venues and clubs to hook up. They had grinder. So they don't yeah. need to go there. Where there's a bit more of an acceptance in the community. So I can go to, I don't know, X wine bar in Clapham with my boyfriend and my girlfriend Becky, and we can all kiki together. Yeah. So yeah. they they felt that there was less need for the queer spaces that we grew up in. And yes. certainly existed until probably the early 90s. I hope that what COVID has done is gives the community a kick up the arse when we come out and go, you need these spaces. If it's a sinister you need community, you need pubs, you need to look at somebody, you need those spaces. It's important for your well-being to do yeah. that. Because as you said, as you said, Aisha, if you're young and you're queer and you're coming out, you need that. You're not going to find it online. You ain't. Exactly. So, you know, that's what so that's a really, I, I hope for that because that's actually seems really essential. It mm. is definitely. Go on, Ava. You know, she, Ava wants names. I can feel it in her bones. <laughs> I do want names. I mean, I'll just put out some of the names like Miss King, Miss uh, <laughs> Gold. <laughs> Gold. We had a Miss Barbados, and Miss Jamaica, and Miss Trinidad, and Miss Singapore. Uh, <laughs> Um, Mary Giff Liverpool. There was, you know, many, you know, with with girls' names. There were so many. Phyllis. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, they called Jill Bill, <laughs> don't they? In um, It's a Sin, they changed her from Jill to Bill. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, my nickname when I go on the um, LGBT scene uh, started actually in South Africa in a gay club. Um, is Lola? Lola. Is it because yeah. you're a show girl? <laughs> have you seen? Do, do have I want to know that film, Kinky Boots, with Chiwetel? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's why. To be honest, right? To be honest, <laughs> to be honest, they have got a point because <laughs> I do, I was mad, right? And then I googled it and I went, Nah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's a lot like me. Um, so yeah, and also you know, talking about having these spaces and stuff like that. Um, Mark, you've got a new project as well called Black and Gay Back in the Day. Yeah, um, I love this. Yeah, being on to the, to the Instagram page. Do you want to tell us how that started, why that started, where people can find it? It's all but eight days old, Mark. <laughs> I know, but it's been huge. Like, the, you just got people what, 3, to- 3,000 like, followers? It's obviously so needed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It you know, it, it's an interesting one because it kind of bounced off of just speaking to him and doing the, the, the mix 
I just call it the mixtape that we yeah. So we did that on, we spoke on Saturday morning and did that. And he's like, yeah, I'm on it, I'm on it. Then I went off to have my show and I was like, actually, <laughs> I'm not going to take credit for the idea completely because there isn't, an, you know, let's big up another black space, which is called Black in the Day. And they did a project in an exhibition, which was taking old photos from the 80s and the 90s and the 70s of black people in familiar situations. And I was in my head, I was like, well, where's the black gay one? And before I had a shower, the name came in my head. I jumped on Instagram, put it together and put a coming <laughs> soon. And then Jason Okandaya, who is a young man who writes for The Guardian and is on Twitter and stuff, probably pronounced his surname wrongly, sorry, Jason, um, messaged me and was like, yo, uncle, which he calls me, he goes, can I help you with your Insta? And I was like, why, what's wrong with it? And he was like, well... So, like, <laughs> so we just created this, and the thing is, and, then, and I said to him, you know, I said, well, if you're gonna help, it's gonna be our project, not mine. And it just became this really lovely intergenerational thing where we've both now been, so I reached out to a load of friends, well, not even friends, I mean, old friends, let's call them that, but people I know from back in the day and said, could you send me some pictures? And they were up for it. So we started to get people to submit pictures. And I think it was, it was LGBT History Month. And now that I thought it through, I mean, it's LGBT History Month. We want it to be repped. Um, we wanted young people. So we went on Insta because where else is everybody? It's quick, it's immediate, people can see it. Um, and it's just taken off because there is an appetite and it shows us who we were. And if it shows us who we are, it shows us where we've come from, who we can be. And I think very often when we look back at black gay life, if we look back at it at all, it's, it's invisible, it's mired in misery and it's mired in all the sadness. And I want it to show us looking beautiful, looking young, looking lovely. All and the there's some wicked never told properly. Mm? All the stories are never told properly. Yes. Yeah. And it's a great visual representation. Of, and it's, it's lovely to see when we were young, you know? Yeah. So stuff coming up this week mm -hmm. as well. I mean, I think for us, we really want more women on it. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're asking, I shouldn't say this, but we are asking the aunties to come forward. So <laughs> it's, it's really taken off and I mean, we're really happy with it and we just want to, I mean, just keep adding to it because it, and it also, you know, and it also sits, it should sit in our wider history as well, right? It, yeah. it, right now it's LGBT History Month and a lot of young queer people and the wider world is having a look at it, but you know, I'm mean, actually going to frame it. It's part of the bigger narrative. It sits alongside small acts. It sits alongside the conversation about Windrush. It sits alongside all of that. The remembrance of the New York New Cross fire. This yep. stuff in there is just as, as important. Oh, come exactly. on, Mark. I think, Ooh, yeah. Because I mean, like, it's hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that shit up. <laughs> it's true, though. It's, it's true, true, though. We can't see, like, that's why everyone was going crazy about small acts and stuff, because we don't see these stories being told. So then yeah. imagine if you add the extra layer to it um, and the LGBT stories that are told even less. And I do know, I'm glad you said, um, Jason was helping you with it. Um, I see Jason online, speak to him online from time to time. I did know that Jason helped you with it, and but I didn't know how to say his surname either. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring it up. <laughs> the whole West Indian black group here all sitting here going, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, nervous. To, um, I call Jason uh, like as part, there are some younger black guys I call my nephews as well. Um, but I do think it's really important that they all 
they like you have got Jace, you've got Isaac, you've got like loads of these younger guys, Gus, who I saw at your party, Mark, uh, who do call you uncle. And I think that is what, why what you guys do is so important. Do you know what I mean? Because you are sort of guiding the next generation. You're telling them stories. You're telling them history. You're showing them the music that you used to listen to. And now you've got this photo exhibition. So we will put the link to the photo exhibition in the comments. And also if you are LGBT of a certain age, what kind of, what uh, years are you looking around so that people well, know if they watch this? Anything pre-2000. Pre-2000. Yeah. That was 20 years ago. Oh, don't. Yeah. So it's a whole generation, right? And that's kind of why we cut off at that point is because we want it to be generational as yeah. well. And, and pre-digital. Yes, yeah, yeah. I haven't true. cheered up about 20 years ago. <laughs> you are? I haven't cheered to 2000 or 20 years ago. That was my heyday. Oh, my son was born in 99, he's 21, so I know. Oh, I think that was me and Calvin's second heyday. That was, our, that was our second or third heyday, isn't it, Calvin? <laughs> I like this. So you can have multiple <laughs> heydays? Can I have another yeah, one now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was heyday number four for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So, guys, did you want our tune, Ava? Say, did you, you want, want our tune? You said you wanted our tunes off the playlist. I did, but you guys ignored me, so I just moved on. <laughs> I, just, I said, can you guys just say that they were a couple of them, but you know how we're just like, you know. yeah. right. go on. Amazing. All Night Long, um, Mary Jane Girls. Oh yeah, that was, yes. Uh, the Mary Jane Girls, the one you chose, that was in the opening scene of Pose. All Night Long, I love. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. I've got a picture with loads of them on You've here. You've got loose ends on there, haven't you? Hanging yeah. on the oh my god! I was just like playing that one, going, "Oh, I love that one! I love that one!" <laughs> what for you, Mark? What were the um, uh, "All in All" by Joyce Sims? Okay, because it reminds me of the Prince of Wales in Brixton. Yeah, and it would it would be hanging in the string. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one for me. So come on. Yeah. Uh, so can you give us a story from the Prince of Wales in Brixton? Have you got any funny anecdotes you want to tell us? <laughs> well, oh God, Jesus! I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you I can't, I can't. we used to go in there because you know Prince of Wales is is it was situated on where where the KFC is now. So it was that whole yeah. corner of Brixton. So yeah. you you'd have to scurry into there really quickly <laughs> to avoid being seen. <laughs> that was the funny thing about it being there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of any I mean, story of things that happened inside. My mind's gone blank. I mean, to be honest. <laughs> it's not gone blank yet. It's really blank, is it? <laughs> so everyone knew that, did that, was, I was it? always drunk. You're always drunk? I was always drunk. I mean, that was my that was my party thing from like 16 to 18. I would just be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and if I that, I would be blitzed. So I don't, I don't remember. Point of use. What's the point of use otherwise? What is Absolutely. the point of it? Honestly, I, actually, I did think when I was going to tell that Stephen Amos story of how that documentary got away with that name, I did ask him on the RVT, but I realised I was really drunk. I can't remember what his answer was. <laughs> so I just really uh, talked about it. Like, oh, God. <laughs> Guys, we really, really appreciate you coming to talk to us for LGBT oh, History Month. We're going to put all the links to everything in the comments. Um, thank you, Cal, because I know you don't normally do this, so I really, really appreciate it. That's the first for me. <laughs> yeah, thank you so, so you much. As well. I said, you guys are Black LGBT uh, royalty. Royalty. So we are very, very happy that you came to speak to us. Thank so, you, sweetie. Thanks.
All right, thank you. All right, guys, see you later. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye, bye, bye.